0: This is exciting. This looks great in here, I think. It sounded pretty good. We'll tweak some things, I guess. We'll figure it out. I thank you guys for waking up so early on a Sunday t- to come to church instead of sleeping in until four in the afternoon. Let's pray together before I start. God, you have been so good to us over these last eight months together. Over the last two years of Jake and I praying and planning and envisioning, over our entire lifetimes of preparing us to be part of this family, over an eternity of you planning this church for your glory, God, would you keep us dependent upon you always in prayer, connecting us to your heart always in everything we do as we See today from your word how you call us to pray. Would you please, God, be near us and help us to pray, knowing that you are pleased when your children come to you for help. Amen. Six years ago, just over six years ago, back in the year 2011, God began my education in prayerful, Dependence upon his power. But I had no idea at the time that I had been registered for such classes. Molly and I remember the year 2000 as one of great pain. Everything we held dear at the time was suddenly crashing down all around us. Our friends were scattering all over. Our dreams for our life changed dramatically, and even our bodies were failing. God was beginning to show us how little control we had over our lives and that He had far different plans for us. Little did we know that same year, 2011, a new family moved to Rochester, Minnesota. They began looking all over town for a church that they could worship in, they could give themselves to fully, that fit their gifts and their understanding of the word and they couldn't find that church. They looked all over town and they even went to or called a church in the Twin Cities asking them, Do you know anybody here that you would recommend? Are you, do you have any plans for starting a new church? And they said they didn't even respond. So in 2011, this family began praying for a new church to start, that they could fully give themselves to that body. And little did they know. That with that prayer, they had signed me up for a season of lessons in dependence upon God. James wrote, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And at that time, they wouldn't know for five, six more years that God was answering that prayer. But God was already at work, powerfully answering them by shaking up my life and preparing me for ministry. Prayer is an incredible opportunity for us to join in God's work of redemption. Even more recently, just two weeks ago, we gathered before our worship to pray together, a few of us in the the library at CPC together. And we prayed, as we do every single week, that God would exalt Himself, exalt Christ through our preaching and our singing and our praying and our eating food together. And that visitors would come and they would see that. They would feel that. They would see Jesus more glorious than ever before. They would feel the power of the Holy Spirit present among us. And God did bring visitors to us that day. And we had coffee with one of them two days later. And he recounted, recounted his experience from Sunday afternoon then with us And almost word for word repeated the prayer that we had prayed for him. And he wasn't even there, part of the prayer. He had no idea. He said, wow, you guys just exalt Christ. He looks so glorious. And the fellowship, I could just feel the powerful presence of God by His Spirit with you. And Jake and I are going, wow. Within the hour, God answered that prayer. So this morning... I just want to delight in the power available to us in prayer as we depend on God in everything we do. From Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. So turn there now, and you can follow along with me as I read. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. Though we are weak, we're small, we are broken. Through prayer, we are able to withstand every attack of the devil and press on in confidence in the work of the gospel. So, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you may have noticed last week when Jake was preaching on the armor of God in the verses just before this, that he got to verse 17, and you may have expected him to keep on going. And he just stopped at a comma in our ESV. Any, most translations of these verses somehow connect verse 18 to verse 17, either with a comma, or the sentence just continues, or starts with an and. And some of you caught on to that and wondered, What's Jake doing? Why did he just stop? Well, we did that deliberately. It was a conscious choice. For one reason, we wanted to have a time just to focus on prayer. We wanted to accomplish something in our preaching. But Paul also structures the sentence in a unique way that draws something special out here. But even though we have that aim, Paul building on this imagery of the armor of God... And then connecting 18 right to 17 makes us think that prayer is a continuation of that armor imagery. That prayer itself is just another weapon in the arsenal available to us. But he changes a little bit. Here there's no piece of armor that matches with prayer. So you could say like the sheath of prayer that you put your sword of the Spirit in. That's missing. And there's no main verb in the Greek in these verses that says this is how you employ prayer. Actually, the way that Paul constructs his sentence, it seems that prayer isn't another weapon, but the very manner in which we employ all the other weapons. John MacArthur writes Prayer is not merely another godly weapon. Prayer is the very spiritual air that the soldier of Christ breathes. It's the all pervasive strategy in which warfare is fought. So we don't see prayer as the thing we do when all of our other options have run out. Where we say, well, I guess all we have left to do is pray. No. Paul is saying, pray always, at all times. Prayer should be employed along with every single other action in the battle against this fallen world. So we're just going to spend time today looking at prayer, marveling at prayer, God's answered prayer, by looking at this text. We want to bathe all of our work in prayer, all of our thinking in prayer, all of our decision-making in prayer. We want to be known as a praying people. We pray to God before we engage in any work. We keep Him consciously in our minds as we do our work, and when we finish the task, we praise Him in prayer of thankfulness. Anytime we engage in the armor of God, we want to do it in prayer. So the main point for this message is simply trying to define prayer from this text. Prayer is our continual conscious connection to God in order to accomplish the work in the gospel. Prayer is our continual conscious connection to God in order for us to accomplish His work in the gospel. So we'll see in verse 18 how we should pray and verses 19 and 20 what the priority of prayer is. And then I just want to finish up by going to a few other texts to encourage you and build confidence up in you and give you enthusiasm to go to God in prayer more often. So, prayers are continual conscious connection to God to accomplish His work in the Gospel. Let's look at verse 18. Verse 18. As I read the text, you may have noticed a little bit of repetition in this one verse. Four times, Paul is using a word that means pray in some form or another. And then four more times, he adds the word all in there. So he really is emphasizing just from this one verse that prayer is some kind of all-encompassing life activity. And he has five prepositional phrases that show us how we should be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication with all perseverance and for all the saints we'll go through these individually first at all times paul this is quite common of paul in almost every one of his letters that he urges some kind of continual prayer life first thessalonians 5:17 he says pray without ceasing In Romans twelve twelve, be constant in prayer. Colossians four two, continue steadfastly in prayer. He wants us. He urges us to be praying all the time. Be a people who are everywhere we go have prayer on our lips and in our hearts. Now, to have that kind of prayer, it might mean we need to adjust our understanding of prayer a little bit. It's got to mean more than putting our hands together and bowing our heads and speaking directly to God. Because if we're supposed to also preach the gospel to every creature, how can we accomplish that obedience if we're also speaking directly to God with our eyes closed all the time? How can we faithfully, diligently work in our jobs if our heads are down all the time? So we begin to see that prayer takes on many forms. But at its most basic level, it's simply a conscious connection with God always whatever we're doing in our heart we're in communion with God thinking about him seeking his glory depending on his provision trusting in his guidance seeking his will which is essentially what it means to be in the spirit we saw from Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 that we are people who are in the spirit who are filled with the spirit which means controlled by the Spirit. Everything we do, He's giving us this attitude, this heart of dependence and submission. So whatever we do, we have that attitude, and it's a prayerful attitude. So even in the mundane things like eating food, the regular things of life, eating food, we have this conscious connection with God. thank you for this provision, for this marvelous flavor that you've given me. We are connected with Him by the Spirit in the most routine activities of life. But then there's a different kind of prayer where we need to stop everything we're doing and close our eyes or block out everything else that's going on and really focus on communication with Him. And I think that's what Paul is saying with the phrase, with all prayer and supplication. These are both words for prayer. The first one simply is a general word for communication with God. And the second one is the more specific, making a request, going to God and saying, will you do this for me? So Paul is saying, whatever you're doing, if you're in conscious connection with God, or you need to stop and pray, do both of those as often as possible. Be connected with God in all of your daily battles. I, uh, I don't know if we have any NASCAR fans here. I don't think so. For real? Are you really? No. My goodness, it works. So, I'm not a NASCAR fan either, so I thought, this is just a stupid, wasted illustration. But it's the only thing I could think of. Um, As I'm thinking about these different types of prayer, I'm like, it's like car racing, where the driver on the track, he's got a helmet with a radio inside, and he's driving around the track always in communication with his crew chief, who's telling him, this is what the track looks like all around. This is the conditions of things. These are where the other people are on the track. Watch out for these. He's warning them of what's going on, giving him tra- encouragement or tips on how to navigate certain turns. But once in a while, he needs to pull into the pit and speak directly face-to-face with the crew chief and get help directly with his car, before he can head back out. So I see prayer as that that too. Always maintaining that connection in your ear, in your heart, with God. But there are times where you just need to pull over and say, God, I need help. Please do this for me. Or I'm going into this. Please fill me more. I need more of your fuel before I head out into this race. So prayer has both those aspects. But sometimes we feel like maybe we've lost connection with God. We feel like maybe our radio isn't working and or He's not answering us quick enough and it leads us to feel like maybe prayer's a waste of time. Should I just quit? And we say, what's the use of praying if God doesn't answer? But Paul says, pray with all perseverance. Don't give up. God will answer you. Pray every way you can, knowing that if you're in the Spirit, you're praying according to His will. And when you pray according to His will, He's delighted to answer. He will answer. It might take six years for Him to realize, or for you to realize that He has answered. But He answers prayers when we seek His glory, when we seek His face, when we say, make Your will happen in my life. We can go to prayer confident that He is going to answer us, so don't give up. Be like that woman who went to him with the issue of blood for years. She was persistent to keep on asking and finally received her healing. Finally, we pray for all the saints. Pray for one another. Get to know one another deeply enough that you know how to pray for one another. Don't just pray for your own needs, but... This church, this body, this isn't just Redemption City Church, some logo or some website, but actual people that we depend on one another. And that means we need to actually spend time together as often as possible. I was marveling that some of you ladies may have spent Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and now Sunday morning together. That is the type of commitment we need to one another so we can say, I am spent, I am empty, I need you to pray for me. I need your help. And then we can go to battle on behalf of one another with all of the armor of God equipped through prayer. One way that we can get practice in building up this habit of prayer in our life is to pray for one another as often as possible, right away. So if someone tells you you're sitting around after we're done with worship here and you're eating lunch together and someone says I've really been struggling with this. Don't just say I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll put you on my prayer list. Put your hand on their shoulder right then and start praying. Right there they are feeling the attack the questioning from Satan and you can put your hand on their shoulder and go to God in, on behalf of them and battle spiritual darkness for them. Or throughout the week, if you're out and about, and you suddenly have this urge to pray for somebody, they come to mind, and you might be wondering, is that indigestion that's making me want to pray? Or maybe it's Satan trying to fill my mind with thoughts. That's just ridiculous, because why would Satan want us to be more connected with God? More deliberately, consciously connected with Him? that is the urge from the Holy Spirit alive in you. We, don't, we can debate a lot about what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. But at a minimum, if you are led to pray for somebody, that is the Spirit alive in you. So pray. Pray for that person. Go to battle right away. And then send them a message and say, I just had to pray for you. I just had this urge. Let me know if God answered that prayer. So, prayer is this marvelous opportunity to be involved in God's work of redemption. We know how we should do it all the time, as often as possible, with one another, for one another, with perseverance, led by the Spirit. But what do we actually say? What should be the priority of our prayer? In verses 19 and 20, Paul tells us that. The emphasis just from these two verses is pretty clear. He wants to have bold, confident proclamation of the gospel. He wants words to open his mouth, to proclaim, to speak, to declare. He uses all these different kinds of words to say, I need to open my mouth. Give me boldness to do it. There's this phrase that kind of goes around Christianity, some churches, where we say, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. And Paul is saying, that is a bunch of baloney. We are people who are made to speak the words of the Gospel. Our commission is to take the Gospel to our neighbors, to the nations. Pray for boldness to open your mouth. We are ambassadors in chains. We covered a couple of weeks ago that we are slaves to Christ. We don't own ourselves. We've been bought with a price. And His primary command, the priority of our service is preaching the gospel, speaking the gospel, opening our mouth with the words of the gospel. So the essence of every prayer is that each one of us would speak the gospel. So why do we pray for Marta's dad to be healed from his cancer? So that he can have more opportunity to proclaim the gospel with his life. Why do we want Redemption City Church to grow and fill up this room so we can send out more bold proclaimers of the gospel into the world? Why do we teach and pray for better attitudes in our jobs so your coworkers look at you and ask you questions and you have an opportunity to speak the gospel? Why do we pray for our children to be more obedient so that their hearts will be still and they can hear and clearly understand the gospel? We pray that every one of you would have boldness to declare, to display the glory of God in Christ through the gospel in whatever ordinary, routine circumstances you find yourself in. To whomever God brings into your life, you have an opportunity to do your primary task of proclaiming the gospel. So our prayers should always be, give me that boldness to open my mouth. So the gospel is the priority of every prayer. And now I want to give you some more personal application, or how can I get some encouragement to actually pray? Many of you probably feel like I couldn't. I'm not a very good prayer. I don't. I know a few that my parents taught me, and that's about it. So I want to release you from that burden and encourage you and give you excitement and enthusiasm to pray. It's not part of my manuscript, but I'm just thinking. On Thursday mornings has been one of the most delightful times of prayer I've ever experienced. And these are pe- guys who are just pouring out their hearts. Nobody's coming with a script. Nobody's saying, oh, I don't want to pray. I'd be embarrassed. There is such freedom. The Spirit is so alive, and I want that to spread to all of us. So, I want to just give you a few texts that can help you, encourage you, that you could write down now and come back to as guidance in your own prayer life. So just a few. First one is Psalm 6. Psalm 6 is a wonderful psalm to pray when you're suffering. These words from David were often really meaningful to me in our struggles through adoption, or back in even 2011, with all of our struggles then. I love how honest David is before God, saying that he feels alone. He feels like God has abandoned him. Or that God is angry with him and that he wants nothing to do with him anymore. He writes lots of psalms like this. But Psalm 6 is just short and simple and easy to find. And he begs God. David goes to God and says, please restore me. I feel like you've left me. And he gives this wonderful reason for his request. He tells God, you should Answer my prayer because, in verses 4 and 5, he says, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Because, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? He He doesn't say, save me because I'm such a great guy. Save me because this isn't fair that I'm being oppressed. He says, save me because you get this opportunity to receive praise from me if you answer prayer. Answer my prayer. If I die right now, how can my lips be used to declare your glory? If, if my enemies defeat me, they're going to say, their God, his God wasn't powerful enough to save him. So give me life that I can stand before my enemies and say, my God reigns. He is glorious. So when you pray, have that priority that God deserves all the credit in your life. When you pray, make sure you're asking for something that will give you the best opportunity to use your lips and praise his name for his kindness to you. My favorite text on prayer is Matthew chapter seven verses seven to eleven and I think I may have preached on this a while back, but the last few months have been a bit of a whirlwind. This text in Matthew seven really has taught me how relational prayer is. You don't need to feel like you have to come to God with a checklist of things you're supposed to pray for. Or feel like you have to have a formula or certain words that are more spiritual in order for God to hear your prayers. Here Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. What child goes to his father and asks for a piece of bread and his, his father gives him a serpent or a stone he says, ask God and He will give you greater things because He's a Father who loves you. So now I love to go to God in prayer and trust that I'm a child. I'm going to say all kinds of silly, foolish things when I ask things for, in prayer. And God is pleased to bless me just for coming to Him. Sometimes we, what the way we pray is a way that we would never talk to anybody else. You walk up to a friend and you would say, Oh, dear friend, I just want to come to you now and ask you to do this for me. This text gives me the freedom to just have a conversation with God as his child, knowing that if I were face to face with him, he would be pleased with me. I wanted to cut this out, but it's too funny. I've got to go here. <laughs> So there's this Christian satire news site called the Babylon Bee, which you should all sign up for. It's so funny. But there's this one article with the headline, Local man takes on persona of 17th century Puritan when praying. So he's at the pizza shop, and he gets his pizza brought to his table, and he starts praying. And then the article says, Local woman Dawn Salisbury was contemplating the ice level in her sweet tea when a booming voice split the low murmur of the pizzeria saying, Oh eternal triune God, thou hast blessed us with bounty incalculable. <sighs> That's funny because we know some people who pray like that, right? It's like, I, And it makes us feel bad. I could never pray like that guy. I don't even know those words. So don't feel like you have to be a... Puritan scholar, when you pray, just be a child talking to God. So just before Matthew 7, when Jesus says, ask and that you will receive, he gives us the prayer in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. So when he says, ask and you will receive, he's not just saying, ask for a, a brand new car or anything. He's saying, ask for these things that I just told you how to pray for we won't go through the entire Lord's Prayer, but just think about it. These are the types of things that shape our prayer life. We pray that God would glorify Himself. That He would bring His kingdom to earth and make His will happen in our lives. That He would provide for our daily needs and forgive our sins. Save us from temptation and the works of the devil. These are the types of things that should shape our prayer life. Similarly, in John 17, it's called Jesus' high priestly prayer. He goes to the Father on behalf of us. And look at the things he prays for us there. Very similar to what we call the Lord's Prayer. In John 17, Jesus asks God to glorify himself, to glorify the Son, to give us, his disciples, knowledge of God through the Son. Help fill our minds with your truth. Protect us from evil. Help us persevere in the faith. Give the church unity in Christ. Make us more holy. Use us to take the gospel to the world. Bring His presence among us. Open our eyes to see how beautiful He is and how to love one another. We can see just looking at some Bible verses, some other scripture texts, that probably the best way to pray is to have your Bible open and just pray God's Word. The Bible is God's will for our lives. It explains how He wants us to grow in holiness and sanctification and unity and love. So if you want to know what to pray, how to pray, open your Bible and pray with confidence, knowing that God's going to answer those prayers because He promises us His will is going to be done. There are lots of verses that I would love to share with you. I desperately want us to be a praying people, to be confident, bold in our prayers. So let me just finish with one final thought of how we are free to pray because of Christ's work on our behalf. The Gospel assures us that in Christ, every single word we utter in Christ dependence upon God is pleasing to him. So Paul says here in chapter Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 these two words it's one in Greek that really caught my heart. He says keep alert. Keep alert. Literally it means stay awake. Keep your eyes open, don't fall asleep. And as he's telling us to keep alert in prayer, I couldn't help but think of Jesus taking his disciples to the garden of Gethsemane in Matthew Chapter 26. And he tells his disciples, This is a critical hour. This is the reason I have come to earth for this moment. This is important. Stay with me and pray through the night. And they all fell asleep. They couldn't stay awake in prayer, they failed to keep alert. And yet Jesus knew that when he told them to do it. And he knew that the very next thing he would do after they fell asleep was go to the cross to die for their inability to stay consciously connected to God. On the cross, he paid the price for our inability to keep our eyes on God. This is such wonderful news and it gets even better. Because three days later, he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven And when he got there, he sent his Holy Spirit back. So his Spirit now dwells in us, giving us the ability to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, keeping alert, praying for all the saints. But the good news gets even better. When Jesus ascended to heaven, He went to the very throne room of the Father, and He is there, Hebrews 7.25 says, making intercession for us. He lives to make intercession for us. When you go to Him in prayer, you are offering these prayers up to the throne room of heaven. And Jesus grabs a hold of those prayers, and He makes them, washes them by His blood, and says, Here, Father. These prayers you can answer. These are good to go. These are your children who delight in you. No matter what you pray, no matter what silly words come out of your mouth, if you are have a heart of faith and trust in God, in Christ through the gospel, Jesus is there making your simple prayers acceptable to God. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. When we tack on that little phrase at the end, of our prayers. It's not just a way to say, I'm done praying. To pray in Jesus' name means we boldly approach the throne of God under Christ's authority. We pray trusting that His Spirit is alive in us, giving us the very words to pray. And we trust that Jesus hovers over us, taking those prayers and making them pleasing to God. So with that confidence, let's go to our God in much thanks and praise and prayer. God, You are marvelous to call us out of darkness into incredible, bright, shining, glorious light. We are fragile and weak, dry and weary, and like a dry fall leaf, if we approach the the powerful, bright, burning sun, we would wither, and burn up in a moment, but because Christ stands before us, we can boldly come into the throne room as children, as little children, saying, Daddy, will you give me a drink of water? God, I, you have shaped me through many experiences in order to humble me more, to trust you in prayer. I pray for that for all of us, that we would see ourselves as children who please You, as those who want Your glory above all things. Give us the confidence that You will answer our prayers because it pleases You for us to boldly proclaim Your praise in Christ. God, we pray for Redemption City Church that You would grow us, that You would help us get out into our communities and speak the Gospel. And we pray now, trusting that You are going to give us that ability. Because that is your will and your will is going to be done. Your will is also for us to sing praises, sing to the Lord, all you peoples. So as we sing to you now, may you be praised, may you be glorified, and may our hearts be satisfied in the love of Christ alive in one another. Amen.